Welcome to Freedom Fanatics, a a production by the Freedom Advocacy Network, a show that airs every Tuesday at six in the afternoon on YouTube and on Facebook. Each week, um, this podcast will be devoted to delving a bit deeper into fan content, whether it's our explainer videos, our video essays, or as we are lucky enough to have today, uh, speaking to one of the authors of uh, one of the first published pieces on uh, the fan website, Dr. Anthea Jeffrey. Now, uh, my name is Hamon Petulius, and I am the director of the Freedom Advocacy Network, and I'm standing in for the actual host of the show, who is unfortunately laid low by some technical difficulty, Sheldon Boyson, and I promise you, he will be back with you guys next week. So, and with me is Dr. Anthea Jeffrey, and uh, she is the head of policy research for the Institute of Race Relations. But I think most people know her as that person who knows the ANC better than they know themselves. Anthea, I think that's the adequate title if we're talking about the National Democratic Revolution and so on. <laughs> Thank you, Herman. That sounds a scary description to try and live up to. But, but thank you to you and your viewers for the opportunity to try and talk about the ANC and its national democratic revolution. Excellent. Now, I must say that it, it was such a privilege, as it were, to, to have one of the first written pieces uh, to be by you and to be about this core ideological uh, conflict that's, that's, that's really been going on in South Africa for, for, for many, many decades. Now, perhaps... Um, under this, this article, what is the National Democratic Revolution? The first question I want to put to you is that um, you describe the NDR, the National Democratic Revolution, um, as being central to understanding political developments in South Africa. So if we want to understand politics in South Africa and we need to understand the NDR, what do we need to know about the NDR? that it is the essential blueprint that guides everything that the ANC and its wider alliance does in terms of policy and its implementation. That this is a very long-term program that's been in place since the early 1960s, that it is the reason for the policy choices made by the ANC, that the underlying NDR goals are always hidden behind rhetoric about redress and, and making a positive difference in the lives of South Africans. Whereas what the NDR is really aimed at achieving is taking the country by gradual degrees from a predominantly capitalist society to a socialist and then a communist one. And we know from experience all around the world how badly socialism and communism have worked for people. Uh, just the attempt to bring us closer to that kind of society has caused enormous damage to the economy over the years. It's one of the key reasons why we have such high unemployment, as we heard in the latest figures, for example. But unfortunately, most South Africans have very little understanding of the National Democratic Revolution, because though the ANC does regularly refer to it, it's not given much coverage by the media or general commentators. And so this underlying th- uh, rationale for all policy is not much understood. And it's complicated. It has various different spheres. So you're talking about a whole lot of different strands and you nearly need to be able to see what those strands are and how they link together 
in order to get an understanding. Would it be fair to say that to move from a capitalist economy uh, to a socialist or even communist one is essentially to move from an economy where the state plays a minimal role, um, doesn't necessarily prescribe how businesses should hire people or do deals or buy and sell stuff, to one where the government is increasingly a role player saying you must hire these people and you must only buy and sell this service and so on. Would that be fair to think about it as capitalist economy, one where the individual has most of the control about where money is going for what? And socialist or even communist one is the opposite, where the government has you know, the most say about what people can do with their money. Absolutely. And, you know, in 1994, when South Africa finally attained uh, a, a non-racial democracy, we had a situation where about 70% of the economy is in private sector hands. It's roughly still the same now. Um, and, and that in itself was probably quite a low percentage. We also had a whole number of inherited state-owned enterprises from the National Party era. Uh, where the state controlled electricity, the state controlled the ports, the, the state controlled uh, the railway lines and so on. Um, and we've kept all the state-owned enterprises. Unfortunately, they have, are now less efficient than they were before. And the aim is to have many more state-owned enterprises, a state pharmaceutical company, a state bank, a state mining company, and also very much to increase state control over the means of production, which is the classic Marxist idea. And one of the key means of production is land. So that's why we have this thrust towards expropriation without compensation. It's not about redress, it's about state ownership and control. And also why we have a whole number of other policies where the state is increasingly able to intervene in the decisions made by business, the goods and services made available to people, and critically, how easily people can afford to buy those goods and services or how much they find themselves deprived of any effective goods and services. And often water is not available because the state's provision is so inefficient. And if people were to look around them in the year 2021 um, to test whether this uh, ideological framework is a reality, what would you direct them to look at? What actions by the government or possible laws would you direct people to look at and see that there's this ideological framework happening at the moment um, in important spheres of life? Right. Well, just in a nutshell, the, the NDR began in the political sphere, so that's the first one to look at. Um, it was very important if the, the NDR was to succeed that checks and balances set by the Constitution on executive power should be limited and undermined. So you ask the questions, has the power of Parliament to hold the executive to account been undermined? And we know that that has increasingly has happened, partly through the electoral system, which means that all the ANC's MPs are ultimately responsible to the president and the cabinet who they are supposed to hold to account. So it doesn't work well. Has the independence of the judiciary been undermined? Has the independence of the press been affected? Is the press more oriented towards the ANC's point of view than it was initially? And I think the answer clearly is yes. 
how many civil society organizations do we have that seem to have the leftist frame of reference and therefore to support the idea of increasing state power and control. And in all these spheres, we see the erosion of checks and balances on, on executive power. And that's the first sphere in which the NDR was active. The second sphere, the key sphere, of course, is the socioeconomic one. And there we're looking for policies which have the, the effect of increasing state power and control. And we, again, we see it in, uh, in a whole number of different spheres. Um, one of the earliest was perhaps in labor law, um, where we passed the Labor Relations Act and other legislation, which had the effect of pushing up the costs of employment, um, giving the state the power to control uh, how much people should be paid, most recently in the national minimum wage legislation that has just been introduced. And uh, when you push up wages, especially, especially at the entry level for people who are young and inexperienced and are not worth that minimum wage, once they've had 10 years of experience, of course they will be, but right at the start, it's difficult for business to, to afford to employ people at, at more than they are worth in terms of their productivity. So effectively, it becomes a barrier. The young can't get jobs. And the ANC is very well aware of it. You know, back in 2012, that the National De Development Plan did acknowledge the fact that government policy had made it increasingly difficult for the young to gain entrance to jobs. But in terms of the NDR, it's a good thing because when you have many more people out of work, you have an increasing sense of desperation. You have an increasing willingness to believe the government when it says that it has the answer and that it lies in things of expropriation without compensation. Um, and you, you see that the government is increasingly able to control how many people get work. And now that we have more than 10 million, 11 million people unemployed, there is the sense of desperation in the country and you have what the NDR would regard as an increased revolutionary ferment. You have more capacity to drive forward with the policies. So never mind the suffering of the unemployed from the point of view of driving forward the revolution and increasing state power and control, it's a good thing. And that seems an enormously cynical view, but one must also recognize that from the ANC's point of view, there's value too in entrenching its hold on power. Because when we look at the people who are still voting for the ANC, and there were only 10 million of them in the last election, they are primarily the people who are the poorest, worst educated, most dependent on the state. So naturally the ANC has, a, has an impetus, has a temptation to increase the number of people heavily dependent on it. Um, and then to warn them that you know, there can be consequences for them if they don't continue voting for the ANC. So it's very cynical and self-serving from that point of view as well. That's one of the key areas. Another key area would be land, which we've sort of been skirting around. Um, but if you're going to have a socialist revolution, it's absolutely vital that you should not allow private property. As Karl Marx said back in 1848, you know, you can sum up communism, it's all about the abolition of private property. And this will apply not only to white South Africans, which is the message that is being sent out, but also to black South Africans. So to the extent that ordinary people think about this problem, they may have been lulled into a kind of false reassurance that expropriation without compensation will affect whites, not blacks that it will primarily affect rich white farmers, not ordinary people in their homes. 
But at the end of the day, private property is incompatible with socialism and then communism, and it all has to go. And we can see that most clearly now in the Constitutional Amendment Bill and the clause that has been put forward by both the ANC and the economic freedom fighters saying that the state should have custodianship of all land. Um, and the ANC is trying to say, well, you know, we only need it for a certain period of time. And the EFF is trying to say, well, it won't be all that significant. But it wasn't that long ago that the EF said, EFF said, your title deed will have no meaning once we've taken custodianship, and the state will decide for how long your, your land use license should last. So this is, is the threat which is now becoming very real for all South Africans, but it's critical to the NDR, critical to the goal of state ownership and control of all the means of production, starting with land. In this last minute, uh, let me ask you, do you think that South Africans are behind this program or do you think there's actually some room here to start pushing back i think south africans do not understand what is the, the, the background to these policies and just how dangerous they are and that's because these policies and their real rationale have been really uh, portrayed in a very false and misleading basis for a long time. So if people don't fully understand, that's exactly the intention of the government, that they should not. The propaganda has been intended to prevent full understanding. But we also know from the, the opinion polling that we've done over many years, that most South Africans, for example, um, have far more interest in jobs than they have in land reform. Uh, that there's a hunger among ordinary South Africans for a political party that can be effective in providing growth and employment rather than one that, that promises massive land expropriation. So the government pretends that it has huge popular support, but that is not so. If we look at the opinion polls and what they've been showing for many years, ordinary South Africans want the building blocks for prosperity that work in every country, jobs, growth, investment, property rights. Those are the keys to success, and those are the things that the NDR will rob them of. Anthea, thank you very, very much. I must say it is, uh, it's a difficult thing to delve into decades of policy direction and momentum in a mere four, uh, 15 minutes. But thank you very, very much. I think um, we, uh, we now have the overview, and I hope we can have you on again uh, when we perhaps do an explainer video about the NDR to take us further into this understanding because you don't understand if you can't defeat the problems that you don't understand. Anthea, thank you very, very much. Thank you.